be that way for years before it becomes a problem. That's the biggest thing with electrical, is that... Hello, it's Dave Adams with ProTech Inspections. Welcome to episode two of our Truth Over Harmony podcast. Today we have Brian Duffy from Transitions Electric, where we'll talk about home inspections, some of the common electrical findings, and learn a little more about Brian and Transition Electric Company's approach to how they work with our realtor partners and friends in the upstate. Please also take a moment to watch our preferred partners and reach out to them. They're investing in you through your success. Go below, like, subscribe to our podcast, and also make sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Hey Brian, very excited to have you here today. This is, uh, this is something new for us. You're the first partner we've had in here, and I'm so excited. A little bit of history between us. We were introduced to each other by a local realtor, what, about a year ago? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, man, it's been awesome working with you. Likewise. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about Transition Electric, how you got to Greenville. It's, it's a pretty cool story. And let's talk about your other, your side hustle that you have, too, because <laughs> that will shock people. Yeah, so uh, I moved here from Florida uh, close to 10 years ago. Um, was primarily in Tampa Bay. Um, got an opportunity to move out here um, to kind of, at the time, didn't know it, but was getting hired to take over a position from another electrician at a larger company in the upstate that was going to leave and start his own company. Um, and he had been looking for a while, and I was looking to make a change, so brought my family out here for the interview and ended up working for that company for a few years and getting that department uh, that was that he had ran um, into a different spot for that company and um, started doing electrical uh, right out of high school. I tell everybody the same thing. I became an electrician for a girl who's my wife. Um, I was focused on the arts primarily, had no interest in working with my hands or anything like that um, and fought it pretty hard for a long time I did not want to be a tradesman um, but uh, the calling to be a provider um, really lent, lent, lent well to me and um, I found that I was made to do it um, so I'm a residential master electrician um, I've been in the industry now I'm going on 20 years um, so yeah I, that's that's my story for that well, and those of you listening and watching, you'll probably notice one of the things I really like about Brian, and it, it translates well in, into the real estate world, is he's thoughtful and intentional in what he says. He he doesn't scare people, and he's very laid back and very calm. So if you're a realtor looking for an electrician, I think those are some skills that you bring to the table that that are different than other companies. So with that in mind, how do you, what is your approach with Transition Electric Company? What what makes you different, Brian? I believe that we're different um, because I really do want a homeowner to fully understand their system. Um, and I wanna be able to communicate to them about their system in a way that isn't overwhelming and daunting, but still educational. Um, I think that having the information about something that's invisible, which is electricity, um, goes a long way um, in understanding the do's and don'ts with your system, understanding the behaviors as a homeowner that could equate to unnecessary service calls, things like that. So um, I find that that is what makes transition different, is that we're willing to take that time to um, educate and inform a homeowner so they can make better decisions about their home preventative maintenance for their home. Um, and I also believe that another thing that sets us apart is that we we do find ourselves um, being an electrical company for comp customers that are in transition, moving here from another place, and they maybe had an electrician they used for years and are just trying to find that person that they can trust again. Um, and we're, we want to be that for a customer, so we don't worry about how small something is going to be. If you're calling us to replace an outlet, that's just as important to us as replacing an entire electric panel. Um, so I think that that sets us apart as well. We're not really focused on just a niche, you know, one little thing that makes our company super profitable. Uh, we're, we're more interested in building that relationship with the homeowner so we can 
watched her kids grow up and watched them maybe go from that one house that they started out in Greenville with and moved maybe into another house. We want to be their electrician all the way through. We want to be their kids' electricians. So I think that's what sets us apart. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons we align so well is we're not about the money. We're about the people. And we, we firmly believe, and, and we've discussed this many times, that if you take care of the people, the money takes care of itself. Yes, yeah. And, and sometimes those one-outlet jobs leads to a referral that is influential to your company. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they work somewhere where there's some other work to be done with their friends or neighbors, or somehow it always seems to come up. Mm-hmm. And if you treat people right, they remember you. Correct. You know, I, I tell the staff here at ProTech a lot of times that, you know, when I die, people aren't going to remember me for being a home inspector. Right. They're going to remember how I made them feel. Yeah. And that that's the thing I like most about you is you care about how people feel. Yes. That quality is not found in, in a lot of companies that are just about the bottom line. So I think you explained that really well. Let's talk about some common home inspection findings. Um, you know, another thing that, that I love about our relationship is you already work with some of the realtors we work with. Mm-hmm. You've brought new realtors to us through referral. We've brought business to you through referrals. And, and that relationship also helps us both because the most common and the worst thing that we ever face is those electricians or HVAC or plumbers that go out there and go, oh, your home inspector should have found this. <laughs> and how many times yeah. have we had that conversation? So yeah. Brian is great in that it doesn't matter who the home inspector is or who the other electrician is. He won't throw them under the bus that way. You know, what the, what the contractor doesn't understand, Brian, is when you as a contractor say that, mm-hmm. you're not just throwing the inspector under the bus. Mm-hmm. You're throwing the realtor under the bus because 98% of the time that realtor probably referred to us. And then they try to go into the offices to get business Mm -hmm. after they've thrown everybody but the brother under the bus. Yeah. And there's some things that that we're just not going to find. You know, I tell people all the time, I've I've got a bionic leg, but I don't have x-ray vision. (laughs) So explain to me how a contractor and a home inspector should work together so that we complement one another and ultimately serve that client. So the conversation I have, and I think this translates well to what we're, you're asking, is I have this conversation with a homeowner all the time because sometimes we're, we're meeting homeowners um, and it's they bought the home and something has come up three years after they've purchased it or something like that. So at this point in time, we're, we're not even in the, the direct relationship with a home inspector. Um, and I explain it to homeowners this way, you know, a home inspector is trained through a, a certain series of things to look at a specific set of things, but that specific set of things doesn't necessarily, uh, translate to a wide range that is focused per solely like we are on, like, we understand this one thing can relate to this thing, to this thing, to this thing. And on your end, you might only know to look for this, uh, for example, open splice in an attic, but because of the time I have invested in this industry, I understand that, well, there's also other aspects to those open splices and maybe they're there because they were, that points to unlicensed work from, uh, this or that or another. So in short, I'll just tell a homeowner, you know, it, it's not malice. It's not like they intentionally didn't do their job. It's not like they intentionally chose to not look at these things or tell you about these things. It's a lot of times just not in their field of scope. It's not something they're supposed to even find. Um, yeah, that, that's how I have that conversation. So th- in my opinion, there's no bus to throw anybody under. It's you did what you were supposed to do. Um, you did it to the f- fullest extent of your ability, whether and that's different for some inspection companies too. Some inspection companies don't have as versed training as you do and as wide of knowledge as you do. Some of them are very specific to the extent that it's just like there's three or four little things that their inspectors have been trained to look for and that's it. And you can't fault, that's what I tell the homeowner, you can't fault them for that. That's 
what you chose. That's the inspection company's process. If you went with this one, they might have found five other things, but they still could have not found these things because they're not trained to look for those things. So that's how I look at it. Is there's no bus to throw anybody under because there isn't one. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just well, knowledge. That, you know, that that's the thing is, so we're kind of, I, I explain it this way. We're kind of like the family doctor. Mm-hmm. And if you're having chest pain, you go to the family doctor, he sends you to the ER to the cardiologist, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want your family doctor treating your heart. Mm-hmm. You don't want your home inspector fixing your electrical system. Right. So you have to have that specialty. I, I appreciate you recognizing the training that we do. And, and let's be clear, Brian was not paid nor endorsed for that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I think what helps us is the fact you've attended some of our inspector manager calls. You help train our people. And I think having partners in that way is one of the reasons that sets us apart while where we're able to understand things a little better, but still kind of stay in our lane. Yeah. So let's get back to the common home inspection findings. What, what are the most common things you see home inspectors miss? Uh, so this one is an, is easy to miss is, um, you know, the home will have a, a wire come out of a meter base that's supposed to go into the earth to today's standards. It would be in the earth attached to two rods that go eight feet in the earth. And that's mm-hmm. called your grounding electrode system. Okay. Um, a home inspector is limited to what they can find because if the wire goes into the dirt, it's assumed it's attached to something, right? And it's not a home inspector's job to dig up at ro- and look for rods. They can be anywhere, right? Well, and let's bear in mind, too, you mentioned today's standards. So mm-hmm. if it's brand-new construction and it's 2023, right? that's what we're looking for is those two rods. Mm-hmm. If a house is built in 1996, those two rods aren't going to be there. Right. So that's another example of what the home inspector has to know. Right. And I'm, I'm reminded of a case, and I'm sorry to interrupt no, you, but I think this leads perfectly to there was a, a mobile home up in TR mm-hmm. that a client called and complained about and said that the service entry wires were loose. You remember me calling you about that yeah, one? Yeah. And you mentioned we had thermal cameras. So, man, this conversation's flowing great, Brian. <laughs> this is awesome. So we had thermal imaging pictures. There was no, no excess heat. There were no signs of arcing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the electrician that went out there charged them three hundred dollars to adjust the torque Mm -hmm. on the service entrance wires Mm -hmm. and that is a new code is what you had shared with me well i can promise you there's no home inspector with a torque wrench that's going to even check those no so please continue about your you know what we commonly miss as a group but I want to be clear to the audience that a lot of what we're talking about changes, and it changes frequently. And it's also the reason you have to have a good electrician, because this guy charged this client three hundred bucks. Right. Your service call, I imagine, is two two fifty somewhere. Something like that, yeah. So they did fifty dollars worth of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But please continue where we were. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So the the grounding system, you know, like you said, it's uh, according to the date of the home, and that's what you're looking at based on that home's date standards, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, those things in the home can change over time through repairs, and this is what what is a common one that is missed. Um, so that wire in the 80s or the 90s would go into the house and attach to a copper water line. Okay. Well, if you're an inspector and you see it attached to a copper water line or a galvanized water line, you assume or are are trained to say that, well, there's the ground. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the problem. If at any point in time somebody has taken that cold water line and attached PEX to it, we are no longer grounded. You are attached to a, a, a piece of metal pipe, but that never now never makes contact with another piece of pipe that enters the earth. So on the cold water supply, this comes into play also if no plumbing was done on the home. If the utilities, the the water company that you have, decided to change their supply line to PEX Mm -hmm. or PVC out of the earth, well, if you're you're attached with a ground wire to that, it still doesn't ever meet a copper line or a galvanized line that hits the earth. So you have no grounding. 
And you have to have that constant path to the ground to release that energy. Correct. We need to find a way to take poor voltage or, or, um, invasive voltage say from power surge or nearby lightning strikes or direct strikes back to the earth and out of the home Mm -hmm. surge protection for example doesn't work if it doesn't have a way to get back to ground so you can have a nice surge protector on your house and there's plenty of companies in the upstate that do this so they're just trained to say oh there's not one there let's install a whole home surge protector they never verify ground so you've spent five six eight nine hundred dollars on a surge protector and it doesn't do its job (laughs) Um, so that's a common one is, uh, you know, just not finding those, um, that ground. Um, another one that gets missed sometimes, and this is not, again, not at the fault of the inspector is open splices. Okay. You know, a lot of homes now, especially during a time of, of investment property, flipping properties over, maybe somebody bought it, owned it for a year, then flipped it over real quick. There's a trick that's done by these investors or these um, renovators where there's open splices all over the attic, okay? And what they'll do is they'll have all the batted insulation removed or keep it, and then they'll have blown-in insulation put in. Well, if you've got blown-in insulation in, how is anybody ever going to find these open splices in, in, in there? And, you, and the point is they're not. It's intentionally hiding them mm-hmm. to make it appear as though there's no issues. Um, there's no way for you to find that. There's no way for me to find it. There's, the only way I would find it is if somebody has reported that they have a smell coming from their attic that smells like burning wire because those wires that are often buried under that insulation are not rated to be buried under insulation. And they're going to get hot. They're going to get hot. You know, that, that also brings up another point about uh, bootleg grounds. Mm-hmm. You know, if you get these early 70s, 60s homes that have been flipped and you've got three-prong outlets throughout the home, mm-hmm. but you still have that old two-wire electrical system, mm-hmm they will put a bootleg ground wire on the back of that. And, you know, a lot of inspectors just go over to Home Depot and buy that eight, $9 GFCI tester. And it shows us correct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we don't use those is because ours will show us if it's a false ground mm-hmm. and that false ground is another way of saying a bootleg ground. Yeah. And that's a cheap way to make it look like it's correct, but you don't have the proper ground system. Yeah. That was the next one I was going to bring up is that, you know, um, there's a big thing that happens with homes that they're listed as new electrical. Okay. Um, and this doesn't really come up so much with your company, but it does come up with other inspection companies. So I'm just going to say that, um, the, a common thing missed by most inspection companies is it's listed by the seller as new electric. And it's got all new receptacles throughout the whole house. And then the outside box is brand new and it's got all new wire in it. So, wow, this looks like a brand new wired house. The, the, the big issue with that is 99% of the time, it has not been rewired. Mm-hmm. And we know this because, again, we'll go through and plug in our testers and our testers will say open ground. Well, if it's a brand new wired home, it's going to have grounding on the, on the device by code. It's going to have that. Yep. So big dead, dead giveaway is panel's got new wire. It's a brand new service outside, brand new outlets inside, but everything's reading open ground. That means somewhere those wires that are new meet old. Mm-hmm. And that's where that insulation trick comes in. So those, those, that new wire is meeting old knob and tube wire or old cloth jacketed cable that's not grounded somewhere in the attic. And or then, just, just two-strand Romex. Yeah, correct. And then somebody has been like, well, nobody's ever going to know. Yep. <laughs> so I'm going to blow this insulation. And, and we have to have a very difficult conversation with somebody who's either already purchased the home because they trusted that it was new electric. The inspector didn't find that it was not old electric. And we have to have that very difficult conversation about, well, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's ungrounded wire everywhere. Or it's knob and tube wire everywhere. And then we get into this very large investment conversation about what it costs to rewire a home for real. So 
kind of like finding polybutylene in the plumbing system. Mm-hmm. You're looking at replumbing that house. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have some realtors that go, oh, man, well, it's been that way for 30 years. And I'm like, well, that may be true. but mm-hmm. um, And it's probably going to last a little while longer. But at some point, yeah. you're going to have to replumb that house. And that's why we use electrical analyzers, similar to what you use, mm-hmm. is so that we can tell the client that because that is a telltale sign. It also tells us that permits probably were not pulled for that home. Correct. And then you get into a whole nother scenario of, well, if they did this, what else did they do? And I'll tell you, the prettier the home, Mm -hmm. a lot of times the more suspect it is to me (laughs) because they want to draw your eye away from problems. Correct, correct. Uh, Last one, I gave three, but I'm going to give a quick short one um, that is commonly missed is, new circuits that have been ran in the home by unlicensed contractors. And this is easily found from an inspector, but can also be easily missed. Um, you know, new new style Romex will have a date code mm-hmm. on the jacket of that wire that's printed. So if you go into a 1960s home and there's four new breakers in that panel and they're like crammed in there because there's really no space for it, that's one giveaway. Like, okay, this probably was added. But the other thing is, you just follow that line, and you'll see that that date code says twenty. We'll use today, twenty twenty three, mm-hmm. right? The house is dated nineteen sixty two. Okay, these are new lines. Were they pulled? Were they pulled correctly? Do they have the right breaker attached to them? And by new standards, any new circuit that you pull has to have AFCI GFCI protection. Correct. Okay, uh, that stands for arc fault circuit interrupter or a ground fault circuit interrupter. If you don't have that protection, there's usually a reason for it. Those breakers are A, much more expensive than a standard breaker. And B, um, they also don't always fit in these older boxes. So y- there's no room in the breaker box to put an AFCI or GFCI breaker just because the spacing on older equipment was not designed to breathe the way new spacing, is, uh, new panels are designed for more air room and more breathing room for those electronic devices. And, you know, we do have a lot more electronic devices today, and most things are three-prong, and that's mm-hmm. why they're putting three-prong in. Who wants to go buy 100 two-prong adapters and then not have that device protected? Correct. But it's funny you bring up panels. I don't know if I ever told you this story or not, but... There was a, a client that called and wanted us to pay $800 for uh, failing to call out different brand of breakers in an electrical panel. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, look, we missed it. You know, that's we'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. So I said, send me the invoice from the electrician. So they, they did. And the invoice said they replaced three Cutler Hammer panels or breakers mm-hmm. with three Eton breakers. Mm-hmm. It's the same company. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. charged them 800 bucks to swap out for the exact same company. Yeah. And the average consumer doesn't know that. And of course the client comes back and says, well, this guy's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't do that to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I ended up it, it was it was kind of touch and go there. Mm-hmm. We didn't pay anything. We didn't fix it because it wasn't a problem. And, and of course, we had pictures showing mm-hmm. that it was Eton and Cutler Hammer, same type thing, mm-hmm. same breaker, sent him a Google link, and he still wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that goes to some of the things that happen that get blamed on us. Mm-hmm. That's really that guy made 800 bucks for no reason. Yeah, and Eaton, you know, Eaton and Cutler Hammer are the same company mm-hmm. um, as far as they have different brands, two different brands under one umbrella. But like uh, a Cutler Hammer breaker is very distinguishable because it's a tan handle and nothing else fits it, mm-hmm. right? So if you say that you took a Cutler Hammer out and you put a BR in, that's impossible. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not. It possible. wouldn't fit the same panel. It wouldn't fit the same panel. Um if you take a BR out and put another BR in, you're kind of doing redundant work. I don't know what that would be about. <laughs> so. That's about $800 payday. Yeah, yeah. That's for a, what, 20 minutes worth of work? Yeah, depending on the panel, but yeah. yeah <laughs> that's a, that's a kind of crazy, yeah. So let's talk about quotes. You know, realtors, 
and rightfully so, they always want to know when they're representing a buyer or seller, how much is this going to cost? Mm -hmm. So let's first talk about the common problems that you brought up that inspectors missed. Mm -hmm. I know there's a wide array and a lot of room for interpretation here. So no one's going to hold you to it. Mm -hmm. But what are some rough costs to fix open splices, to fix different brand of breakers, to fix the bootleg grounds? And I know that's the big one. That's the, that's the high-dollar fix. Mm -hmm. so. so for an open splice, um, we do more than just place it, and that, that we always communicate this. Like, well, that splice has been there for 20 years or 30 years. It's easy to get a box. They make a box that you can just lay the splice in and close the lid and walk away and be done. Um, we charge somewhere around $70 to $80 to do a splice correction. And the reason for that is we're taking it apart and checking those connections. We're not just putting it inside that box and closing the lid. Even if we utilize one of those splice boxes that are designed to lay the splice in, we're still taking it apart and checking those connections. And often what we'll find is they're, um, they're using like a crimp style connector, um, which is not good. <laughs> um, or they're just loosely taped together or the wire nuts are. So we're bringing the value in the sense that we're, we're not just making it safe by putting it in a fire rated box We're bringing it to a solid state where we're like making sure that connection is not mm -hmm. coming undone. But that's usually somewhere around 70 or $80. And that's per splice. Per splice, correct. And sometimes those splices are not going to, to work out inside one of those boxes I'm talking about. So it's taking the wire, cutting it back, bringing it to another point, adding an extension out of one box and bringing it to a second box. And those aren't those two boxes for, for fixing that splice is still under that seventy to eighty dollar range that we're talking about. All right. What would you charge if you not a cutler hammer to Eton breaker? <laughs> but what were you gonna charge to replace breakers if you got the wrong brand in there? So that's a that's a good question. Um, and I like that one because we don't generally focus our pricing on an individual breaker when we're going inside the panel because there's usually more things attached. Um, so, you know, if we're just replacing a breaker, a single breaker, you know, maybe it's $50 plus our travel. Everything is going to be plus travel, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have a very far range. We go all the way over, all over the state to do work. Um, so travel char charges are range and, and have difference, differences depending on where. But, you know, for a breaker, you know, if it's a, it's a BR breaker and it's in a Siemens panel, you know, to take that out. If we were just going there to do one, you know, maybe it's $50. If we were going there and the report said there's tapped neutrals and tapped double tap breakers and there's open knockouts in the panel, what I do and our guys are trained to do is look at that report and go, okay, this is panel work. So we're, we're going to be at this panel location doing other things. Let's lump all panel work into this one thing as opposed to charging for the breaker charging for the knockout charging for correcting the taps um there are breakers out there that we go to that we won't replace um we have a missized zinsco breaker well we're not going to replace a zinsco breaker even with a newer style that supposedly works we're not going to do that but those kinds of breakers you know in the information as far as pricing goes something important to know is those brands of breakers that are unique are going to be far more expensive. A Zinsco breaker installed by most companies in the area are going to be 200 something dollars per breaker. Um, GFI breakers, an electronic style breaker that has a, some kind of monitoring to it. Those are not a standard breaker. Those are going to be a unique breaker in the sense that they cost more. <laughs> well, and there's some availability issues with some of those too. Correct. Correct. So, you know, it's entirely possible you may have Brian come out and say, I just can't get that breaker. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and, and then you got a whole different problem. Correct. Yeah. So, and, you know, that kind of gets into rewiring the house and the three prongs that have mm -hmm. 
all these splices up in the attic that are now you're starting to smell and yep. then the the bootleg grounds that hit everything and you know i know there's a ton of variables in pulling wire mm-hmm. but if you've got that 1965 house mm-hmm. your traditional branch 1800 square feet 10 to 12 grand yeah oh no um so rewiring a home generally for our company starts at about $13 a square foot. And that's going to be including an electrical service. Okay, so getting a new box outside and getting a new interior panel. Maybe the interior panel's in a closet and we can't put it there anymore. That's mm-hmm. all included in a rewire. Um, but, you know, rewire pricing starts about $13 a square foot. And it's not, so we're talking on average, you know, rewires costing somewhere between twenty and twenty-five thousand dollars for the average home in the upstate. To be clear, though, this is important to bring up. Although it's a service we offer and we do throughout the year, it is the least profitable thing for us to do. We are um, housed out this one location for for uh, five or. 10, 10 days on average, somewhere between five and 10, depending on how many people I can get there. Mm-hmm. If we have a return, okay, of 10% on a rewire and it's a $20,000 rewire and it's $2,000 return, if everything goes well, that means our company profited $2,000 maybe over the course of 10 days. Um, so what I hear you saying is, most of the trades nowadays are taught to replace, not repair. Correct. And I, that's one of the things I love about you is you want to fix it. You'll figure out what needs to be fixed. So if you tell somebody a home needs to be rewired, oh, it's yeah. not because you want to make a $25,000 sale. In fact, you'd rather go do I'd 50 rather, other jobs. Yeah, 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 it's because I mean it. I, I mean it. I mean in the sense that this needs to be done, and whether it's done by me or someone else, it's going to have to be done. And that's the big conversation about rewires that I think don't get communicated well mm-hmm. with homeowners is it's not a matter of if, it's when. You're going to do this. And if you're not going to do this, the next buyer is going to do it. Somebody's going to do this. Um, and their system is going to tell you to do it. It's going to start talking to you. I have a friend that called me up and asked me to go look at his home in Spartanburg. And I told him, you know, I'll take a look at it, but, you know, it's an old glass fuse box, and it's knob and tube wiring. I said, sometimes you get into it, the more you touch, the worse it gets, right? Yeah. And he said, well, that's been my experience. He said, every time I go to replace an outlet or something, it just falls apart, and other things start stop working. And I said, that's your house talking to you. That's your system telling you it has to be done. Well, how much is it going to be? You know, he had this big two-story knob and tube plaster house in Spartanburg. His rewire would be like $35,000. He doesn't have that. His house still talking, huh? Still talking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. let's talk about those glass fuses because mm-hmm. there's a lot of insurance companies that won't insure that house now. Right. Do you run into that? Do you get calls about that? All the time. And, and you know, the issue with the glass fuse system and, and primarily that I come across is that those fuses, because of the way the house was wired, are generally oversized by 100%. So the house is a 15 or 14 gauge wire system and the fuse for that should be 15 amps. Well, these houses were generally built with no heating and air system. So over time, people have been plugging in space heaters to keep their house warm or whatever, or they've added modern day appliances like microwaves and stuff to the kitchen and all of a sudden their fuses are blown all the time. So they call their dad up or they call their uncle up or they just go to the store and pick up whatever fuse will fit. Ends up being a 30-amp fuse most of the time because <laughs> it's the only one that's not going to blow. <laughs> yeah. they've, give the, they've given the circuit 100% more allowance than they should, but it won't turn off anymore. So they think the, sol- the problem's solved. Oh, I put a new fuse in. It's good. That's the biggest issue with the fuse boxes that I find is that they're just – they've been – allowed to cook wires for 30 years, 40 years. And that doesn't reveal itself until the behavior of the homeowner 
makes it reveal itself. So if you put 30 amp fuses in a glass fuse box on 14 gauge wire, but you never use the system beyond 15 amps, it's never going to be a problem. Right. But the minute you have a cold snap and you start using your space heaters and you don't know how your house is wired, so maybe you got two space heaters on the same circuit going and they're both pulling 25 amps on a 14 gauge wire that's only rated for 15, you're starting to burn stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the things you're burning are those splices that you don't even know are there. You may remember, so we do thermal imaging with all of our inspections. We'll do a quick survey of the home. You remember the picture I sent you that Devon found wires behind the wall that were hot? Yeah, yeah. And that was a newer home. I, I want to say that home was around five to seven years old. Yeah. And and I sent you those photos, and I said, dude, what, what's going on here? And you're like, either they've overheated that wire, and now you've affected the resistance of that wire, or when the electrician stapled the wire— Mm-hmm. He pierced it when they were building the house. Yep. And it did the same thing. It affected the resistance. Mm-hmm. So that was a really cool find that Devon had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge on that one because it taught us something. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was really strange to see. And that was actually a, a, a realtor buying that home. So mm-hmm. it was strange for her to see, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. You know, build. You know, a lot of the safety features that we have now in electrical have a lot to do with building practices. So, arc fault breakers and GFI breakers on everything now has a lot to just do with the fact. We'll, we'll talk about arc fault. You know, when you put hardy plank on the side of the house, if you, you know your your guys are just using whatever shot nails they have. That depth of that nail does matter. Absolutely. Well, you got a box of nails that are, you know, a half inch too long or a quarter inch too long, and they go and hit the back of that electric panel and hit the bus in the back. That penetration of the box going in, that can be that way for years before it becomes a problem. That's the biggest thing with electrical is that some things don't reveal themselves right away, and these new technologies for breakers are designed to notice it right away. Um, to pick up on that. And sometimes it's just construction error. That's what I have found that those breakers 90% of the time are, 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 are detecting and fixing is something mm-hmm. that happened on build. You know, that's one of the things, obviously there's hundreds of feet of wiring in a home mm-hmm. and we can't look at all of them, but in pre drywall, if I see, looks like that wire's been straightened out or that wire's been run in a mm-hmm. funny way. I'm looking at that wire to see where those staples or those fasteners are mm-hmm. to see if it pierced that jacket yep. because it's so much easier to fix right then and there. Correct. And it's going to be a problem down the road, yep. especially, as you say, with AFCI breakers because, you know, they, they, they'll just fail just because they're having a bad day. Yeah, yeah, that's the comment. They were – much worse, arc fault circuit interrupters were much worse when they were first designed. And a lot of that had to do with, again, building practices. You had electricians that were coming out of the 80s and 90s that, you know, were in their, you know, at this time, 10th or 15th year of doing electrical. So they have a building practice they're used to, which is sharing neutrals across circuits. Uh, we're going to bring all the circuits into a light box. That's what common in the 60s, right, mm-hmm. or 70s or even 80s. And we're going to just tie all the neutrals together. Even though there's three circuits in here, we're going to put them all together. That was a common practice. They would continue to do that, you know, under these arc faults. And arc faults and GFI breakers don't work under shared neutral situations. So there was this long, long-standing myth at the beginning of arc fault breakers, which is, like you mentioned, they're tripping because they have a bad day. Mm-hmm. They were actually tripping because us electricians didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> And we didn't understand the technology and we didn't fully understand the theory behind how to wire a system, you know? Um, so I came in right at the start of the introduction of those breakers and yeah, they were annoying, <laughs> but they were annoying cause I would get called out to troubleshoot them and then have to find that, well, it's doing what it, it's doing, what it's supposed to do because of X, Y, Z. It's funny because it, <clears throat> I don't do many inspections anymore, as you know, but I used to always make sure and show people 
where that AFC eyebreaker resets because it's in that garage panel. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter when, but if there's something on TV that they've been waiting to see, <laughs> that yeah. living room arc fault breaker is going to fail yep. in the middle of that program. Mm -hmm. And they get irate and the home inspector missed something. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, you know, you remember when I told you, go out to the garage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're fussing the whole way out to the garage. And then they get out there and I'm like, you know, just turn that breaker off and back on. Mm-hmm. Find the one that has that little orange window that's orange. Yep. And then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's it's never going to happen in the middle of the night. Well, the the last thing I'll say about these these new breakers, or, or they're not new anymore, but they're more prevalent now. The AFCI and GFCI breakers in a panel, the, the biggest thing I can say about it is they're an electronic device, okay? And... We have more, specifically in our area, mm -hmm. more. We have a very stressed grid in the upstate. That's just what everybody wants to hear, Brian. Yeah, we have a stressed electrical grid. Um, there's so many people moving here. There's not enough updating of the grid, and there's a lot of unlicensed work that's happening that doesn't signal to the utility company they need to do a transformer update or something like that because no permit was pulled to notify them. So we have a lot of power surges and equipment failures happening. And those breakers in a new home equate to thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And they're getting hit by power surges all the time. So what I try to make sure people understand is we won't be on the, in South Carolina, we won't be on the code that mandates surge protection on the panel for probably four more years, but it is the 2023 National Electric Code. Well, and that's going to depend on which county you're in, too. Correct. Because even, you know, Spartanburg and Greenville's on 18, but I think Pickens is still on 12 or 15. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, I mean, just when an electrician educates you and informs you of the importance of having good grounding and good surge protection, they're not necessarily trying to sell you something because they would make more money going out and replacing these as they go out. Every time somebody in the upstate goes out and replaces an AFCI, GFCI breaker, you know, it's hundreds of dollars with a service call. They'll make less doing surge protection and grounding and may never go to your house to have to replace those breakers. But again, it's not about the money. They should inform you and you should be notified that that is extremely valuable not only does it protect those electronic breakers it's protecting all of your other things in the home that are electronic how much stuff now dishwashers refrigerators everything is an electronic in it yeah and every electronic has small small amounts of surge protection in built into it there's something called a metal oxide resistor snort <laughs> an mov but once that surge comes through one two three times and burns out the MOV, the electronic still works, but it's now 100% susceptible to that power surge. Whereas surge protection on the electrical panel protects everything because it's the first line of defense and it has very large MOVs in it, stacks of MOVs that would take a lifetime to burn off or a direct lightning strike to burn out 100%. You know, everybody fusses about Samsung refrigerators. <laughs> yeah. But... <clears throat> the thing is, they give you a 10-year warranty. They give you that 10-year warranty because they have a team of engineers that have literally sat and designed that product to last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Some are going to fail before. Some are going to fail later. But every single component in that system is designed to last a maximum Right. A Not a minimum, <laughs> a maximum yeah. of 10 years. Yeah. So that goes back to, and my point here is that whole repair replace thing. Mm -hmm. We've become a replace society, not a repair. Right. And a lot of those boards, those logic boards and controllers in these appliances and in our TVs, they're no longer designed to be replaced. You have right. to replace the entire item. You can't fix that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All appliance guys are, you know, I know a couple of appliance guys, and I mean, m most of the time they're not replacing anything. They're mm -hmm. collecting their money to tell you 
they get charged to go out and they're pretty much collecting their 75 or $100 service charge to tell you like the board's going to be $500 or the dishwasher's $500. What do you want to do? Right. You know, and most of them just go to Jeff Lynch or wherever and get a, another appliance because by the time you pay the guy to install the board, you've paid for a new dishwasher. Every bit of it. That's, you know, the surge protection we install comes with a $75,000 claim package through the manufacturer. Provided you registered, I'm sure. Um, actually, it goes through a, an appraisal process, or not an appraisal, a uh, assessment process through your insurance. So you call your insurance out. They're going to do an assessment of loss paperwork, and then you submit that assessment of loss letter to the manufacturer, which, by the way, is Eaton, the one we install. Mm-hmm. And they, no questions asked, cover it up to 75000 as That's long as, As long as the surge protector was on there, and installed correctly. And installed correctly, and that does matter. Because yeah. they're not going to... But see, they don't have Eaton, as far as I'm aware, last time I sat down with Eaton representatives was about six years ago. They don't have a team that goes out and inspects to determine whether or not it was installed right or anything like that, because they do such a good job. They get very little claims. Mm-hmm. They also get... I know from a, for a fact they get a lot of claims of you know, they're going to honor it and they're going to replace it, but it's an indirect lightning strike. And that's there's no such thing as lightning protection. You can have lightning rods put on your house to kind of deter lightning and get it away from the home or into the earth. But there really isn't, you know, we're talking about lightning is, uh, you know, the force of whatever you want to call it, right? It's untamed. There's no like, oh, this lightning struck at, you know, this lightning strike is always this it's it's a magnetic field that's huge you know um you're not going to do anything about that so eaton doesn't even worry about that you know they if it hit the house directly (laughs) then they have a great opportunity to go back to the grounding though because the way that ground system works is the lowest amount of resistance is where that electricity is going to go and you want that to be those two ground rods in the ground correct so that circles back to where we started Mm mm-hmm that brings up, and Brian, I know we both have seen some emails and, and comments about quotes. Mm-hmm. So you're listed at the bottom of our report, probably almost every one of them, because we typically find at least one electrical thing, in, or at least one thing electrical in every home. Yep. And you got that get quote button. Mm-hmm. And people get frustrated that you won't just spend your time mm-hmm. giving them a free quote. Now... Truth over harmony. Real estate agents, we caused a lot of this because we would ask for quotes to get money back or to negotiate with no real intention of ever getting the work done. Right. So we kind of disrespected our contractors there, and, and I know of some realtors who uh, who lost some friends over that. Mm-hmm. So... A good contractor, and I see it all the time on on Facebook, I need a contractor that does great work but is reasonably priced. (laughs) A contractor that does great work is backed up, Mm -hmm. and he commands his own price because of the work that he does. He doesn't have to give free quotes. Correct. You you devalue yourself when you give a free quote. Mm-hmm. And we both know odds are you're never going to get any work out of that. Correct. And you can look at one of our reports or another inspector's report um, and still not know everything that's at that house, but you've got a baseline. Mm-hmm. So I know you don't give free quotes. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about why. So you touched on it uh, very well. I mean, specifically in real estate, we don't give free quotes. And I'll start with one thing, and then I'll, I'll move into a second. The first reason why we don't is because we are trying to bring the most value we can to the customer, okay? Whether it's the agent that's going to relay the information to the buyer or seller or directly to the buyer and seller, we want to give them the most value, I can't give you a ton of value with no investment on our end. 
a good contractor knows their value and knows their worth. And if they're willing to just give it away, then they don't know it. That's how, that's how I view it. Um, so, you know, I want it done for the lowest price possible by the best guy doesn't exist. You're get, if you get the lowest price possible, you're also probably getting somebody who doesn't understand their value. And they're also not going to give you a whole lot of value. If, they, if somebody doesn't understand what their value is, how are they going to give you any value? It does, that, it's like a relationship. If you're not your best self, how are you showing up for your partner? You're not. Like, there's no way you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how I, I, I look at it. Um, the, other, the other thing I, I said about it was you, you touched on it, and this is the, the second part of it. In, in real estate, you know, there is no guarantee that we're going to do any of this work, okay? A lot of times it's going to go into a credit, as you, as you mentioned, or it's just information to make the homeowner decide or the buyer or seller decide whether they want to, usually the buyer, decide whether they want to make an investment. And they want to know, well, what am I get, possibly getting into here? Like, is it thousands of dollars? Is it $500? If you're serious about buying a home, you have to be willing to take the chance with somebody to give you the information and, and, and not just shoot from the hip. Um, I can shoot from the hip all day over the phone with somebody, but it's not, it has zero value compared to me actually like looking at the report. And the way I do it is, I mean, we'll, we'll review the report. And if you're using us to do the work, we'll give you it back. So it's, it's literally just like a re, you're respecting my time. You've, given, you've awarded us the work. Thank you. Here's your, here's your money back. It's, that's how we do it. We give it back as a credit on the final bill. What do you normally charge for that quote? So for a, a limited review, meaning there's not – there's not pages on pages and pages of electrical findings. It's usually $80. If it's a long, large list of, I'm talking like 15, 20 items, usually I'll hit pause and I'll call the customer and say, hey, I can review the report for you for around $160. So we're talking about double. But you might benefit, and a lot of times you guys do this, you might benefit from actually having a professional electrical inspection done solo. It has nothing to do with the home inspector. This is like a top to bottom full evaluation, of the electrical system. And those usually are around $400. Um, but it's pretty much like getting a whole nother report because it comes with the same stuff. It's a top to bottom check. And then it's a list of all the findings and you can ask for quotes on whatever you want. But most of the time, if there's that many items, we come across this like, well, you need an electrical service upgrade and you need GFI breakers and you need all the outlets replaced. And, you know, so the value is you paid $400 for this information that equated to 160 to $400 of information that equates to, well, do I want to drop 10 to $20,000 on this house? Yeah, but you have that information up front. Correct. That's what I and, mean. And you know that that four hundred dollars, it is another report, but it doesn't replace the home inspection. We're back mm -hmm. to now. You're the cardiologist, right? You're giving them specific details that are not part of a home inspection. Correct. And you know, I'm always amazed somebody will be buying a five hundred thousand dollar house, and will choose a home inspector that's twenty five dollars less than the other guy. Yeah. And you're like, you know, it's just some things you can't fix. Yep. So, Brian, we're going to move into the five questions. Okay. What are the five questions? So every time we have a guest, we're going to ask five questions. I have no idea, even as we sit here, what those five questions are going to be. It's meant to, to let you get to know more about this person, to let you learn who they are, things that are important to them. Hopefully it'll be funny and it'll cause you to, uh, to engage and watch more of our podcast just to see what they say at the end. <laughs> so... Five questions. The first one is your logo. So we've talked before, man. My heart's still in Texas. <laughs> and that's a little bit of ranch language there and branding. No pun intended. I want to know, you've got this copper color mm -hmm. and you've got the S. 
What's behind the logo, Brian? So, um, there's when I re- when we reached out to um, Tim Speaker. He's a professor at Anderson College. Um, he's also a friend. I reached out to him. Did a great job. I uh, told him here's some uh, here's some uh, guidance for these brand guidelines. Um, I want to be able to encapsulate some of my opinions about balance. I want to be able to discuss, um, you know, balance being like yin and yang, you know. Um, but I want it to reference electrical language, you know, and symbolism. Um, and also the name of the company is Transition Electric. So we got to find a way to encapsulate skateboarding as well because um, I'm a skateboarder. Um, so the logo, that S is actually can be viewed as a couple of things. Um, that S is actually the sine wave pattern that's on most voltage testers that stands for alternating current. Um, there's an invisible line you don't see on the sine wave that goes from that left side to the right side at the even point, which is the zero field or the net, you know, the balanced field. Alternating current is always, it's, you know, binary. It's going from zero to one, zero to one. It's going like that. Um, for somebody who's less trained on it, it looks like a chain that is open for hanging a chandelier. And if you're a skateboarder, you would recognize that as transition as far as just dropping in on something, you know. Um, but that that's the the symbol. Um, the color the color is obvious as far as copper and copper wire. The name had a lot of meaning to me. Um, you know. I was in a transition of serving other businesses for many, many years and having a really hard time deciding whether I should be in business for myself, um, which doesn't exist. You're always serving somebody, so you're not in business for yourself. But going into doing and starting a bit an electrical business or not, um, and it, it was a time during COVID where we were starting to determine whether, you know, whether that was the right move or not, whatever, whether I was going to take a chance on myself. So transition was happening to everybody around that time. And uh, I felt it pretty strongly, especially because the company I was at was supposed to be my last stop. And I said, this is my last stop where I'm going to work for, start my own company, one of the two. Um, Transition is a term in skateboarding that's utilized, you know, from just dropping in on things and going down hills and going up ramps and whatnot. Transition is something that is truthful to my philosophy in life about balance and the yin, yin and yang of life. That is, you're in constant transition. Things are constantly in flux and constantly moving, and that is what balance is. There isn't a, there is no such thing as like a high or a low. The high exists because you've gone through a low, and you have to reference that low to know you're at a high, and vice versa. Um, and then just directly relating the name to customers was my vision for the company was to be able to help people. If I was going to start a a company knowing that this is a highly trafficked area where people are moving here and they're in transition themselves, they've had an electrician for years. I think we started the podcast talking about that and they're looking for a new one that they've relocated to the upstate and they're looking for somebody to trust. So we want to make sure that the homeowner feels at ease inside that transition. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the best summary of that. There was a lot of thought that went into the logo. Well, and I think your explanation of that is, is really telling, um, your mannerisms, even the look in your eyes, you can tell it's something that's very personal to you. Yeah. And, um, that's really what these five questions are designed for is for you to connect with our guest in that way. And, and I love how Brian did that. So, great story. All right, thanks. You referenced skateboarding a few times, so let's talk about your side hustle. Yeah, I own a skateboard company um, called uh, Test Skateboarding. Um, you know, I've been skateboarding since I was, I think, 12. I think it could be 10, but 12 to be safe. So I've been a skateboarder most of my life. Um, 39 years old and I still do it every day 
or as much as I can during the week. Maybe not every day, but um, so the the I started a skateboard company um, also during the pandemic. Um, Glutton for punishment. Huh? Well, it was just like you know at times like if it's not now, it's never. I don't know what when I'm going to do this stuff. So going to take a chance on this too. Um, you know, it's not. That is definitely a, a company that I started with the hopes of giving Greenville something that's representative of their skateboarding culture and their scene that they have. I looked around a lot and there wasn't any of that existing. Um, there were some skate shops that have been around a long time. There was mention of a couple of brands that had started and fallen apart like really quickly, but there wasn't anything that was like representing in the actual skateboard culture. So I was like, well, there's these, this set of guys that are, really good they're and they're young and they're not getting any attention and i want to be able to at least give them free boards and i want to be able to at least like support them in a way that i wasn't able to be supported when i was younger and skating so it started out of that i started it with a professor out of anderson as well named michael marks um he did all of our creative design and and i do a lot of it now but we, we started it with the hopes of just giving Greenville something that they could call their own. Yeah, That's always amazed me because I would never see you as a skateboarder. Yep. And it just, it's pretty cool. All right, so question number three. Mm-hmm. Favorite place for lunch? <laughs> Greenville has so many good places. Um, I'll go to, I'll, I'll, I'll say Sushi Masa off of uh over by pelham road yeah yeah you know and people with my accent call that bait <laughs> i mean it's no sushi here brother yeah you could just go in there and get ramen noodles or a good udon hot pot or something but it, i don't know anytime i'm feeling like just completely blasted and i need to just go somewhere and feel like it's fair it's good I'm going to feel good when I leave. That's where I go. All right. So number four, and I'm going to kind of set you up here. <laughs> it's not intentional, but I just thought of it while you were answering that question. <laughs> so I know your family is very dear and important to you. Yeah. Um, as you continue to grow as a person and as a business, it's important to celebrate those successes. Mm-hmm. So if you could take your family on any vacation anywhere that you think would just really say, hey, guys, You've sacrificed a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Where would you take them? We're talking about it right now. Cool. <laughs> um, I want to take a, an RV across the U.S. and see the entire, as much of the country as I can through, you know, the highway through the central of the, of the states, but get to the uh, West Coast and really, like, show them. We've never, none of us have been there. Um, all of California from the, the southernmost point all the way up to the northernmost point and then um, get over to uh, Portland and, and see, you know, big red trees and things like that. That's what we're, that's what we're, we're hoping to do. But that takes time. you got to be able to step away from the business to do that. <laughs> so. Yes, you do, and that's very hard for us. Mm-hmm. Very hard. So the last question um, Biggest regret? Biggest regret. Not eating breakfast this morning. No, just kidding. I'm feeling that one right now. <laughs> We've gone a little longer like than I planned on. Saying, so. I wonder if these growls are being picked up by the mics. Um, my biggest regret, I think, right now is not having done this, what we're, what I'm doing now with Transition earlier, uh, um, and, and not believing <clears throat> in myself um, to do it. Um, I had way more champions on my side and cheerleaders on my side than most people do and for a very long time i mean pretty much five six years into it um it that's when it started you should be doing this on your own you should be doing it on your own and you know there's that self-sabotage thing that happens where you're just like i'm not deserving of it or i'm not that good or i'm not that great um just being mindful enough to know 
that when somebody says that to you, they're not just trying to be nice. If, if, if that's going on for years and people are like, I just don't get why you don't do this thing, it, you're the problem. And I think that's the biggest regret I have is not having gotten started sooner. Getting out of your own way. Getting out of my own way. Yep. Same with the skateboard thing. Just yeah. find a way to do it. Get out of your own way. Trust that Trust that things will be okay. And if they're not, that's okay too. Well, Brian, you know, over the last year, we've developed a great relationship. And not that anyone cares what my opinion is, <laughs> but I do think you're one hell of an electrician, but more importantly, you're a good man, you're a good person. And, and I'm proud to have you both as a partner in business and as a friend. And I want to open the floor to you. So in conclusion, we're going to call this the last word. We're going to always give our guests the last word. So anything we haven't talked about, anything that you think is important, whether it's home inspection, transition electric, um, life choices, regrets, whatever it is, this is your last word to impart your wisdom to our viewers. Um, well, thank you likewise, by the way. Um, but the, the thing I think I, I want to say, I know I want to say, is we just spend more time, people spend more time um, not focusing on being kind to one another and not focusing just being very self-involved and focused on like what they got to do and what's important to them. And, uh, we're all in this together, you know, um, whether you're a parent and you've got a kid that's not being obedient and not listening and not recognizing that your wisdom is important to guiding them to be, you know, exist and stay alive. Um, or you've got a, an apprentice that doesn't understand what you're doing and trying to coach them through it, or it, it, it all translates to the same thing as like, be kind. And if someone's being kind to you, recognize where it's coming from. Don't just take it as, oh, they're just a nice guy or they're a nice gal. Like it's that, that's how it's supposed to be. There's this supposed to be this exchange of kindness between people. And we just live right now in a time, as, uh, my personal opinion is we live in a time where it's really easy to forget that others exist. It's really easy to forget that the kindness is, it's there, you know, and it's there for the taking and it's also there for the lending, but you're maybe just so involved in your phone or whatever it is that you're not seeing it. And so my biggest takeaway is just like lean into that, lean into that as much as you can and catch yourself when you're not. Be mindful enough to catch yourself in the room.